So we're, we're going to be looking today at the book of John, chapter 8, verses 48 to 59. Verses 48 to 59. Uh, this passage is the culmination of what has been going on from chapter 7 to now the end of chapter 8. There's a lot going on. This began with Jesus going up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And if you remember that, a lot, a lot happened in chapter 7. He went up to the feast. Uh, during the feast, he got up. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The authorities did not like that. They tried to have him arrested, but he could not be arrested because it was not yet time for him to be arrested. He declared that he was the light of the world, that anybody who believes in him would not walk in darkness, but would walk in light. He engaged in many conversations. Conversations is putting it very euphemistically, uh, debates, arguments with the Jews, particularly with the religious leaders that oftentimes got very heated and downright nasty even. And we see this nastiness and where it leads at its peak here in the end of chapter 8. This is the end of the series on the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's see what happens here. It says, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is God's word. Friends, what I want to talk to you about um, this morning is the topic of glory. Glory and honor. I think everybody in this world, in their own way, in my own way, in your own way, 
We desire glory. We want to receive glory. We want to receive honor in the eyes of other people in so many different ways. Many ways are very obvious. Maybe you receive glory and honor. You really enjoy the honor and glory that you receive because of the school that you went to. It's nice when it comes up in conversation. When somebody asks you, what school did you go to? And you went to a very good school. And you can drop, oh, I went to such and such school. And people are like, oh, wow, that's a good school. You must be smart. And you're like, no, 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 it was nothing. It was, I probably got in by mistake, you know. But yeah, but yeah, it's, it's top 10. It's top 10. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we enjoy that type of glory that comes from that. Maybe you enjoy glory and honor from your job from the place that you work, because it is a reputable company, because it's a place that people want to get into, people that people want to work there as well, and you like the honor that you receive from that. Maybe you're like, nah, not me. My job is very ordinary, very normal. I'm not looking for glory or honor from my job, but I think that if, you, if we flip it around, I think if we were to look at it this way, are there jobs out there, fine, normal jobs in society, that if you were to do, if you ended up needing to do that job for whatever reason, you would, you would totally not want to do that? Not, not just because, oh, maybe it doesn't pay enough for me to live here in the Bay Area, or maybe it's, it's not because, oh, well, you know, I got so much education, I'm overqualified for that job, but because you would be so embarrassed because you wouldn't want anybody to know that you work there. If there are jobs like that, normal, decent jobs out there, that you would feel that way, maybe that reveals the other side. Maybe it does reveal how much we do actually care about the type of job that we have and what it says about us even if your company isn't the most reputable one, but at least people won't think of me as working in a place like that. Maybe we, we, we look for glory based upon how well-read we are, how much we keep up with the news, or how savvy and sophisticated that we are. We like to be honored for our intelligence, for how um, in the know we may be. People want to be honored and receive glory from the sports team that they're identified with, right? Like everybody, why is it that so many people spend so much money on jerseys and all this paraphernalia from their favorite teams? Why is it that jersey sales go up when the teams are winning and jersey sales go down when they're losing? Because everybody wants to be identified with a winner. Even if you don't ever get on that field and play for that team. If your team is winning, you put that jersey on so that you can say, I am identified with that team. Just as that team is an honored and glorious team, I am to be honored and glorious because I am a winner as well. I'm a loser because I'm a Giants fan this season. <laughs> My wife used to be a Giants fan, but now she's a Chiefs fan. Guess what? Because she likes to be with the winners and not hang out with losers right here. Through sports, we want to identify, well, she's kind of a Giants fan still. I don't want to totally throw under the bus. We, we want to be identified with things that make us honored and glorified, to receive glory. 
Maybe it's even as subtle as like, hey, I, I want to be seen as the favored child by my parents. Out of the three of us, I want to be the one where they say, oh, Ulysses, he's the responsible one. He's the good one. He's the one that made something of himself. Maybe in that way, that's really important to you, what your parents say about you, being better than your siblings, being better than your cousins. It's a type of honor and glory that you want to receive. And then later, when we become the parents, don't we do the same thing through our children? My kid was walking at nine months. My kid started talking at six months. My kid was doing calculus at three months. That's a lie. No, 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 he, he, he was. He was, you know, looking at these curves and really, you know, anyways. Well, she received glory and honor vicariously through our children. Everybody seeks glory and honor, whether it's very ostentatiously through the, the really apparent, visible things, or subtly. We're looking to be honored and glorified in different ways. Now, let me just say this. There isn't necessarily anything wrong with being honored by others for the right reason. Okay? There's, there isn't anything necessarily wrong with that. The Bible even says that we should honor people. We should honor people who deserve honor. But here's the problem. When this honor, when this glory becomes the basis for our identity, who you are, your, when your worth and your value come from this, and you can tell it does if something goes wrong with this, if you lose this, if people don't honor and glorify you in the same way through those things, and it cuts you deeply, it bothers you deeply, then there's a problem there. Then that becomes sin. When we take these things, these sources of glory and honor, and they become who we are. Brothers and sisters, you see, Jesus here, he says in verse 49, they, they, they dishonored him. They said, you're a Samaritan, you have a demon. A Samaritan was, you know, an insult, huge insult back then because they, the Samaritans were Jews who intermarried with other people in the northern kingdom and, and, and they viewed them as half-breeds and they syncretized the religion that they got from Moses, the law of Moses, all these different things. So for the Jews, they despised the Samaritans. They called him a Samaritan. They said he was demon-possessed. You have a demon. Jesus says, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus didn't seek his own glory, he tells us. He wasn't looking for his own glory and his own honor. We know that because the incarnation, Jesus coming into this world, everything about Christmas, about Jesus coming into this world, was about not glorification, it was about humiliation. Humiliation. The God of the universe who created the universe at the side of the Father came and took on human flesh. He felt cold. He felt hunger. He felt tiredness. He was mocked. He was spat upon. He was tortured. Ultimately, he was nailed to a cross and he was killed. Hung upon the cross, naked and bleeding, mocked by crowds of people, bearing ultimate shame and humiliation. Everything about the incarnation, everything about Christmas was about humiliation. 
Jesus said, I did not come to seek my own glory. He came knowing fully well that he would be humiliated. He came to seek the glory and the honor of the Father. And guess what? Jesus says, I don't need to seek my own glory. I don't need to defend myself. You know why? Because there is one who seeks it. God, the Father. God, the Father, seeks to glorify the Son, and He is the judge. What He says matters. This is what God, the Father, does. Because after Jesus was hung up on the cross and he died and he was buried in the tomb in dishonor, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and vindicated him, glorified him in front of the world. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, it said that death could not hold him. He was right. He was holy. He was glorious. He did not deserve to die. This is why death could not hold him. He was righteous and holy and just. Jesus' resurrection vindicated him, glorified him, honored him. It says in Philippians 2 that God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Through this resurrection came this vindication and every knee will bow one day. Everyone will recognize that Jesus truly is God. God is the one who will honor Jesus. God is the one who will glorify Jesus. The Father glorifies and honors the Son. Likewise, brothers and sisters, there is a pattern here in how we are to live as well. And it's this. We are not to seek glory and honor in this world We are to seek the glory and honor that comes from God the Father. We are to seek honoring God. And as we seek to honor God in this world, guess what happens? God glorifies us. God honors us. And that is a good, good thing. You know, there's this misconception that some of us may have. A misconception that I had heard before too when I was a younger Christian earlier in my Christian life, and it was this, you know what? It's wrong to seek glory in this life. It is wrong to seek glory from God. No, 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 no. I shouldn't seek any glory. I shouldn't seek any honor. The purpose of my life is only to give glory to God, and it is wrong for me to seek any honor. You know, there's that song. I know we, we sing it here sometimes. I've sung it many times in my life as a Christian, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful by Keith Green. You guys know that song? It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. Except there's one line in there that I've always had trouble with where it goes, And when I'm doing well, help me to never seek a crown, for my reward is giving glory to you. Right? You, you know, you know, have you sing that song? No, no, please don't, 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 don't. don't. <laughs> Undeserved, undeserved. And, and, and I, I get what the song is saying, right? I want it to be all about you, God. But actually, the Bible does tell us that we should seek glory and honor. But we should seek it from God. Don't believe me? Let me give you a few verses. Just earlier, you may remember this from John chapter 5. What did Jesus say in verse 44? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory 
that comes from the only God. What was Jesus saying there? He's saying, don't try to, don't work, don't labor to be praised by other people, to have other people think highly of you and say great things about you, to to give you glory. Seek the glory instead that comes from God. That's where you should be seeking glory. He doesn't say, don't seek glory at all. He says, seek it from the right place. Seek it from God the Father. Paul said in Romans chapter 2, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. What does Paul say about those who seek glory and honor? Does he say, oh, they're so bad. How could they desire that? That's so wrong. What does he say? He said, God will give them eternal life. We should seek glory and honor. But in well-doing, as Jesus said, in keeping his word, in abiding and remaining in the word of God, as we do that and we honor God through that type of life, God glorifies us. God honors us. One last one. In 1 Peter, Peter wrote, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Sorry, Keith Green. (laughs) But right here, Peter says, you will receive not not just glory, but a crown of glory. A crown symbolizes, you know, like like royalty, like this reward that you get, uh, whether it's royalty or you finish the race and you get the crown or the wreath, but it's one of glory. You will get one of glory when Jesus returns, when he appears, if we keep his word. Friends, we are to seek the glory that comes from God. We are to seek the honor that comes from God. Even if it means being called a Samaritan, being called demon-possessed, or maybe in our world now, being called uh, uh, crazy, or, or, or a bigot, or narrow-minded, or whatever it might be. It's worth it to seek the glory of God. Now, Because there's a lot at stake, friends. There is a lot at stake. Jesus says, if you seek the glory that comes from God by keeping his word, and remember keeping his word, remember what that means? He talked about that, well, I talked about that last week, earlier in chapter eight. What does it mean to remain and to abide in the word of God? It means to let Jesus' teaching be your everything. To, To let the teaching of Jesus be how you see this world. That the teaching of Jesus is how you make your decisions. That your value and worth is based upon the word of Jesus. That your thoughts are controlled by the word of Jesus. That everything you do, you seek to do it in a way that is in accordance with the word of God. That's what it means to remain, to abide in God's word. Jesus says, as we do that, as we do that, as we keep his word and we receive the glory and honor that comes from God, we will never see death. We will never see death. Friends, isn't that amazing? We will never see death. Now, the Jews here who are listening to him, now this really, now they're like, okay, now you're crazy, man. They say, what? Now we know that you have a demon. 
Abraham died. Remember Abraham, that great patriarch of the the Jewish people, the one that they were so proud of being descended from physically? Abraham died, and the prophets, the great prophets of the Old Testament, they also died. But you say that if anybody keeps your word, he will never taste death? Are you... Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophet? All of them died. Who, who do you think you are here? What does Jesus mean when he says, whoever keeps my word, he will never taste death. Later in the same book in John, in chapter 11, Jesus is standing before the tomb of Lazarus, who had died who's buried inside the tomb. Martha comes out weeping about Lazarus being dead. If Jesus had only come earlier, he could have healed him. What does Jesus say to her? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What does Jesus mean by this? If it believes in me, shall never die. There's Lazarus. Lazarus believed in you. He's dead. He's dead right there in the tomb. Jesus, what are you talking about? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, yes, Lazarus is dead, but physically, physically. But because he believes in me, Lazarus will live in that final day. But not only that final day, to prove it, he raised Lazarus from the tomb right then and there to show everybody that in Jesus is the resurrection life. Lazarus is dead, but he's not really dead. He is just asleep. This is why the Bible uses the term sleep so often for Christians who have died, because it's temporary. It doesn't last. We will awake again to eternal life. When I was in in Korea just a, a week ago, doing the medical exams, all the pastors were there doing medical exams, and I was getting an endoscopy. And they were going to give me anesthesia and put me to sleep. And I said, cool. All right. I'm going to get anesthesia. Here's an opportunity to test my mental toughness. I don't know. I play games like this, right? I'm like, I'm going to try to stay awake as long as I can and see the power of my willpower and my strength. They put that thing in me. I go, okay, bring it on. I didn't say bring it on, but I said, okay, let's go in my head. Ten, nine, like out, out, out. I think, I think in these medical places, they want to get you through, right? They, they're not waiting for you to count down, right? They're, bam! They give you the strong stuff. I was out. I was so out, I didn't even dream. I'm so ashamed. Didn't even dream. Woke up later. You know, if you've ever gone under, you wake up and you see somebody there and you're like, hello. <laughs> A person. Who? Where am I? Oh, medical center, right? You know what I'm talking about? Is this real life? Right? That, that kind of a thing. I just woke up, just like that. Friends, that that is what I think dying is like for the Christian, for the believer. We close our eyes. We die physically. But then we open our eyes, and we are before the face of Jesus. It is like waking up from, from a nap, from a little sleep, Maybe the blink of an eye, and we are in the presence of God. That's what I think death is like for the Christian. Friends, death for the Christian is not the last word. But I said there is a lot at stake here, and that is very true, because there are two different paths you can take. For the Christian, we die physically, 
But then we are with the Lord. But there is a second death that comes, friends. There is a second death. For those who do not put their faith in Jesus Christ, in the Son of God who came into this world so that our sins could be forgiven, anyone who does not put their faith in Jesus, when we awake from our physical death, we awake to the second death, to the spiritual death, to the eternal death, eternal separation from God. This is described in the book of Revelation when it says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, every single person will be resurrected, whether you are a believer or not. We will be resurrected. Our soul never dies, our body will be resurrected but then we will end up either in the presence of God for eternity, in eternal life, or we will experience the second death, eternity apart from God, under the judgment of God. And that is a not a place that we would want to be. But as Christians, we need not fear death. In this world, in this life, death is a humiliating thing. It is not glorious. I watched my father die of cancer 20 years ago. It is not a glorious thing. I watched my mother die from Parkinson's complications one year ago. It is not a glorious thing. What happens to the body is not glorious. It is humiliating. It is weak. It is frail. It is humbled. But death is not the final word for believers. For believers, we never taste death, meaning the second death. Because Jesus, he suffered a most inglorious death. The God of the universe, stripped and beaten, hung upon the cross, mocked, spat upon. He died upon a cross. He died the death that he did not deserve to die. He died an inglorious, ignominious death. He submitted to the word, to the command of the Father joyfully in order to save us. And he was glorified by God because death could not hold him. And herein is the key, friends, that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, if you keep his word, if you abide in his word, we also do not need to experience that second death because Jesus will have taken this punishment, this death, this consequence of our sins from us. Instead, we will receive eternal life and glory from God because of what Jesus has done. Now, getting back to the Jews here, they said to him, okay, we called you a demon before. Now we know you have a demon. What? Abraham, Abraham saw your day and was glad what do you, if anybody keeps your word, they will not taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? What do you, who do you make yourself out to be? Now, Jesus goes on. He says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. And then he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now this, this just... The Jews, the religious leaders, 
are just crazed by this. Abraham, who lived about 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years before the time of Jesus, Abraham lived. He saw your day and he was glad. Jesus, you're not even 50 years old yet. What in the world are you talking about? Are you, are you, you'd have to be like 2,000 years old for Abraham to have seen your day. What are you talking about? What Jesus was saying was this. In Hebrews chapter 11, which is describing Abraham and other people of faith in the Old Testament, said, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. What is the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying that Abraham, in the Old Testament, even though Jesus would not come for another 2,000 years, he was able to see in advance he, was, he knew that God would one day send a Messiah, would send a Savior for the world. He knew that this, this Savior, the salvation, could only come through faith, through believing and trusting in Him. Abraham knew this, and he, he longed for it. He waited for it. He knew that he wouldn't get to see it, but he was looking forward to it. It's like he could see it from far away, from a distance. That's what Jesus meant. Abraham saw me from 2,000 years ago. He knew God would send me. He was waiting for God to send me. Now, that's crazy, right, for the Jews to hear this. <laughs> what are you saying? But now, here's the part that just, just brings everything to a head. So like I said, they said, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? What are you saying? You're crazy. But then, here's the piece de resistance. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What is what is Jesus saying here? Isn't that weird grammatically? Before Abraham was, I am. Wouldn't it be much more grammatically correct to say, before Abraham was, before he was born, I was in existence. I was there. But he doesn't do that. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is making a clear reference, a clear connection to, Je to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and told him to go to Egypt and to bring his people out of slavery, and Moses says, who should I tell them sent me? Who are you? What is your name? And it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What, did God, what does God mean by this? Why is this his name? I am. He means, this, he, he means this because, you know, it's not just that God existed before Abraham. Jesus existed before Abraham. It's not that God will exist in the future. It is that God always is. He simply is. He's eternal. He's not before, he's not after, he's not 
prior. He's not later. He simply is. And this, this messes with us, right? We are, we are like four-dimensional creatures, right? Three dimensions of length, width, and height. We live in a fourth dimension of time, right? And we're, we're kind of bounded by these things. Not God. Not the creator of time. He simply is. He is the eternal one. He is also, I think what this also means is that he's saying, I am the standard by which everything else receives meaning. I simply am. I'm not like, I am this, I am that. Like I could say, I am Chinese American. What does that mean? Well, I'm descended from people from China. Or I am five, ten, and a half. Oh, okay, you know how tall I am relative to other people. Or I am this, or I am that. In, in these different ways defining myself, God just says, I am. He is the self-referential one. The ultimate standard by which everything else in this world derives any of its meaning. He simply is. And may, the Jews, the religious leaders here, they, they had no misunderstandings about what Jesus was saying. Because it says they picked up stones to kill him. Reading through the book of John, all the other times, what do they do? They tried to arrest him. They try not to make a scene. They try to do it incognito. Bring him somewhere, try him, then have him executed, right? They, they tried to kind of do it sly. Here, because of what Jesus said, they said, oh no, right here, right now. And they started picking up stones. They fully understood what Jesus was saying. I am the I am. I am the divine one. Anybody who says that Oh, Jesus, did he really say that he was actually God? I think he's just a good teacher. Did not read this verse properly. The religious leaders fully understood who he was saying he was. Friends, what is, what is the upshot of all of this? Friends, do you want to receive glory and honor from the people of this world? Or do you want to receive glory and honor from the ultimate standard of the universe? The one by whom we know what is good and what is evil, what is true and what is false. Who do we want to be judged by? The I am. He is the ultimate standard in this world. You know, um, there's this interesting thing. This is, a, this is a, a piece of metal. It's called the IPK, the International Prototype of the Kilogram. What is that with the IPK? This piece of metal was stored in France and was used for over a hundred years to define what a kilogram is. Did you know that? Up until just like three, four years ago, they were using this thing. Because they realized we need to have an official kilogram. Because if we don't have an official kilogram, everybody's gonna be like, that feels like a kilogram. 
okay, uh, you know, here, I got 20 kilograms of apples for you. And this person's like, no, that's only 15 kilograms. Who's right? Who's wrong? They need an official kilogram by which to measure everything else. And they probably had this in some vault somewhere in France. And, you know, every once in a while, people would come and probably make a copy of it and measure their weight based upon this weight. You know, the truth is, it doesn't matter how heavy you think you are, how heavy you think your bushel of apples is, or how heavy that car is. None of that matters. All that matters is what this standard says. All that matters is what that weight says, the IPK, the ultimate standard. Friends, God's ultimate standard for us is in his word, in keeping and abiding in his word. That is the ultimate standard of the universe. You know, I think people in this world, so often it is very important for us to receive approval from our parents. Isn't that true? You know, as as a father, I understand that, how important that my role is in my kid's life. You can have a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, or a famous athlete who's won Super Bowls and World Series, or you can be a famous actress or actor, or you could be a best-selling author. You could be so successful, so praised and glorified and honored in this world. But you know, if you read some of their stories, right, inevitably there's so many stories of these people who if their father disapproved of them, they still felt like a nobody. They felt like they had no worth and no value in spite of all their successes and accomplishments. Why? Why? Because I I think there is, and this is very natural, I think there is something about being approved of and honored by the person who made you, so to speak. The one who brought you into this world, your biological parents. I think this is why. People can be successful beyond imagination in this world. But if their parents, if their father says to them, I think you're a nobody, they can still feel like they're a nobody. I think, you know, what that points to, the reality that that points to is that we were all made by God, the God of the universe. And what we desire more deeply than anything else, every single one of us, each of us in our lives, is to hear from our Father, well done, good and faithful servant. That is really what we are longing for, what we are seeking in all, when we seek for glory and honor in this world through our job or money or successes or the praises of people, what we really desire deep within is our Heavenly Father to say, I love you. I value you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have lived the life well lived. And if we understood that and valued that, brothers and sisters, that's, that's where the strength comes from. To even be able to say, it's okay if you call me a Samaritan, demon possessed, or crazy, because I do not live for the value judgments of this world, the glory and the honor of this world. I know 
what the true standard is. I live for the judgment and the approval of my heavenly Father. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live in a way that brings glory and honor to God and in which God glorifies and honors us as well. Let's stand and let's respond to this message together in prayer this time.